Welcome back to the Noggin Notes podcast. This episode is sponsored by Zephyr Wellness, as usual. It's a company that I co-own. My name is Jake Wiskirchen. I'm your host. And Zephyr Wellness is proud to be innovative and philanthropic. How do we do that? Well, innovative is uh, we're the only mental health outpatient agency that I know of that does a podcast, first of all. And we're certainly the only one that does a publicly hosted journaling app like Noggin Notes. And we, uh, we give it away for free. So there's the philanthropy. Um, but beyond that, we also host graduate students who allow us to see people regardless of their insurance coverage or ability to pay. So we're, uh, we're really happy with the contributions that we're making in our little neck of the woods. And as the saying goes, uh, don't try to light up the world, just light up your corner so that everybody knows where you are. This episode of Noggin Notes is on motivation, specifically client motivation, but um, it's it's also for general motivation, uh, what drives us, and I uh, hope you find it interesting. I'm not going to talk anymore because I talk plenty during the episode. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Noggin Notes on motivation. Those of you who have been listening to this program for some time, or maybe you know me personally, have probably heard me discuss supervision. Now, what supervision consists of is uh, basically consultation around uh, theoretical modalities and case conceptualizations and that kind of thing. So basically what it looks like is we'll sit in a group, typically, uh, sometimes supervision is conducted one-on-one, but that uh, although it can go deeper, it's it's a little bit limiting because it's nice to have different perspectives in the room. So typically, it's in a group setting of between um, you know two to six interns or students, and then me conducting the supervision. Sometimes we'll even have another supervisor in there, and that gets really fun. But basically, the the student or the intern or the or the colleague will present a case. The, uh, where they may be stuck, and uh, we'll just kick around ideas to help improve the, the concept. So anyway, this is part of my professional give back uh, and my responsibility to help grow and develop our fledgling clinicians, and I find that it's really valuable not only to them, but also to me, because as I work through these topics, and, and I, in, in a sense, um, really am encountering more and more clients, that are not my own, it augments my own abilities and it enhances the the way that I see things. So in today's supervision group, this morning we had uh, we had student supervision. Uh, these are graduate students who are working through their programs and um, and they're they're accumulating hours on the way to graduation and then from graduation they become licensed interns with the state and then eventually they work through more hours and then after they complete those hours they become uh, quote unquote fully licensed or licensed unsupervised. So anyway, in today's supervision, uh, we had several clients who were presented. And the topic of motivation came up, like motivation to change, like why why do people change and how do they go about changing? And and I realized I should probably do a podcast on this because I think it would be beneficial to the listening audience to hear this too. And hopefully you'll gain a little bit of uh, insight and, and awareness expansion yourselves. I want to uh, take a couple of topics in order here. And the first one is uh, what we often think of as mandated counseling or compulsory counseling or you know uh, mandated treatment now 
from a philosophical perspective, I don't happen to believe that anything is mandated. There is nothing that can be forced from an individual. I think we all retain our own liberty and our autonomy and our, our individual ability to choose what we engage in. Now, whether or not we're aware of it is a different matter, but specific to the purpose of uh, this discussion, we'll talk about whether or not someone is quote-unquote mandated into treatment. Now, what are some ways that we can be quote-unquote mandated into treatment? Well, certainly the courts can do that. If you run afoul of the law and um, it's determined that maybe you have uh, an emotional regulation issue, uh, you know, a anger management issue, uh, maybe an addiction issue that created the circumstances whereby you ran afoul of the law and then got caught, you might, you might encounter a a judge who's not interested in just exploding the prison population any further and instead offers an alternative sentence. And part of that alternative sentence may be to engage in counseling in order to fix whatever ailments brought you to the place where you broke the law. And certainly we want to advocate for that. That's how we reform society as we, we help develop and grow people. We don't just simply lock them away and, and give them a timeout and don't give them any skills to um, progress from you know that that skill set with which they entered the jail or the prison, we want them to we want them to give them an opportunity to to grow through that and develop and you know come out on the other side better off and hopefully not breaking the law and draining on society, but instead contributing to it and enhancing it. Right. So that's one way, you know, one form of quote unquote mandated counseling. Now remember that I I said they're offered the alternative sentence, meaning they have a choice. They don't have to go to counseling, but for all intent and purpose, it can seem to the individual like they're not being given a choice because who wants to choose prison when you could choose uh, probation? So probation, court, uh, that's one one form of quote-unquote mandated counseling. Uh, the next one is uh, with children, parents can certainly mandate them into treatment. And again, uh, there's an old adage in education that says, they can make me go to school, but they can't make me think. <laughs> Similarly, a parent may, uh, may make a a child go into a counseling session, but they can't make them talk. And uh, so that that's one way of, of looking at mandated treatment as parents putting their kids into counseling, uh, maybe against their will. And I'll, I'll get back to all these in a second, and I'll pull out the, the distinguishing differences. Uh, a job may make you go into counseling. And again, remember, I'm holding holding loosely the, the make term. The forcing is not, it, it's there is no such thing as forcing. We always have a choice. And it's just, it may be a choice between something that's unpleasant versus something that's less unpleasant. So counseling is not always pleasant. I mean, it's it's quite quite honestly, it's very challenging to, to go through a counseling process and be honest with oneself. So the idea of having to look deep into one's own soul and try to figure out the motivations behind behaviors is, is really, really difficult. And it's not comfortable. But uh, when you go through periods of discomfort, you inevitably grow. And that's what the promise is on the back end of counseling is that you go through this uncomfortable process and then you're better off in the end, right? So a job may make you do that if you're not doing well at work or maybe uh, you've got some emotional problems and it's interfering with the tasks that you're required to do or maybe you're having conflict with your coworkers or your bosses that you know the, the employer may say, hey, look, we're not going to terminate your employment. We want to we work with you and help give you an opportunity to, to grow yourself and, and recover from these, these afflictions. So go to go to counseling your job will be waiting but in the meantime you know you don't get to work or maybe you work in a limited capacity something like that and then finally there's there's the spouse uh, slash family compulsory counseling where maybe things are going sideways in your relationship and and the spouse says you know what if you want this relationship to continue then you're going to go get some treatment and so what'll end up happening is the 
the, uh, the 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 suffering partner will will enroll into a program and they'll come in and you know sit down and say what brings you in today well my wife sent me <laughs> well no you walked in of your own free will and accord maybe your wife was uh, motivating you to go because you find that relationship more valuable than leaving it you know to to stay in it more more valuable than leaving it and so you choose to come in here. Um, but then there's the other side of this where family pressures can simply push somebody into counseling. And this was this was the jumping off point for our conversation in supervision where I I paused the, the discussion and I said, Hey, you know what, we need to take we need to pay attention to how motivated these people are to come in and, and change in their own, you know, free will and accord, as I mentioned earlier. Versus how much is this unconscious voice in their head that's, that's uh, quote-unquote, making them go into to treatment. So let me go back through this list real quick. And I want to I take these one by one and evaluate the, the motivating factors on, on either side. So if we take the court or probation uh, motivator, and that can be juvenile probation as well, right? So if a kid... Uh, you know, is doing drugs and steals a car and, you know, <laughs> gets in fights and uh, lands, lands in probation, the probation officer or the, the juvenile court judge may say, look, we, we see that there's, there's hope here. You're, you're a good kid. You're just, you know, full of bad decision making. Let's, let's get you some counseling to help you evaluate with greater intentionality why you make these decisions and perhaps make better decisions that don't land you in, in trouble. So the kid may come in, or the adult even, and um, my favorite question in all of counseling is, uh, in that opening session, I say, what brings you in today? And hopefully somebody responds with their real stated uh, problem that they that they wish to address, but sometimes they do point to an external factor like, well, the judge made me. And then I get to go, really? He made you? I don't see him here. <laughs> did he Did he wrestle you into the, into the room? So, and then typically we have a good laugh about that and then say, well, no, I'm here because it's part of my probation and, and I chose. And I, I start to get to talk to him about the language of choice and say, well, I chose, I chose counseling and I chose probation over the alternative, which was something much more unpleasant like prison time. So that's one motivating factor. And once we pull that apart... Uh, the the client can then realize that they are choosing to engage in this process and nobody's forcing them to. Because um, even if we take the most extreme example that we can usually think of, which is a robbery, you know, somebody sticks a gun in your face and says, give me your wallet, you still have a choice. You can choose not to give them the wallet. And there's a whole series of events that could unfold from there based on a series of assumptions. Maybe you assume that the person's not going to pull the trigger. Maybe you don't think the gun is loaded, or maybe you don't think they're serious. Um, or maybe you just know something that they don't know, like you're really good in jujitsu and you're going to knock the gun out of their hand, you know, like they do in the movies and, you know, turn, turn the tables on them. But, but typically, you know, we, we find ourselves in positions like that and say, well, nobody had a gun to your head. Well, even if they do, you still have a choice and it may be just a, a less pleasant outcome if you choose one versus the other. Uh, but ultimately, we all have a choice. So we don't want to we don't want to take away agency from people to be able to choose their decisions. We don't want to just point to external circumstances and say, oh, I didn't have a choice. He made me or she made me or whatever. So we always have a choice and we want to be evaluating that because what it does is it inspires our own personal ability to take control and responsibility for our decision making. So that's one way. So the, the, the person who's in there because of probation or court usually understands why they're there. And as I go through this list, you'll see how the the um, the decision making gets less and less conscious. So a conscious decision for somebody who's on probation is pretty obvious. Well, the, the judge quote unquote made me, so I'm here. Uh, the next one is the parents. So parents make their kid go to go to counseling for whatever reason, 
And when the kid comes in, my my uh, interview style changes a little bit. My my welcome statement uh, alters, and so instead of saying what brings you in today, um, I may say that, but but then ultimately what I'm saying is. Hey, kid, so um, do you know why you're here? And they may say, yeah, it's because I have anger issues and I you know, get in fights a lot at school. Okay, good. That's, that's a good level of insight, and I appreciate that. But oftentimes they shake their heads or they just look at their parents in silence and <laughs> say, like, you know, hey, mom, you tell them why we're here because you're the one who made me come. And, and I'll say, yeah, I, I understand. Your parents are you know, forcing you to come here, and you, you probably hate me too along the way. And then, and then they kind of smile and laugh, and they know that I'm not serious. Uh, so that gets us off onto a good foot and, and it builds rapport. But ultimately, I end up saying, listen, in the adult world, uh, people come into counseling because they wake up one day and they realize they have got some struggles in their life and they can't solve them on their own. So they want to find somebody who's educated, trained, knowledgeable and licensed to to walk them through this problem solving. And I ask, what brings you in today? And then they they tell me. And uh, then we go from there. But with with kids in the kid world, often the the parent will just grab them by the scruff of the neck and you know, twist their ear and say, "Here, you know, sit down in this couch and talk to this man." And uh, the kids left wondering why they're there. So I, I'll ask the kid, based on that, if you could evaluate your life and you think that you need some help learning something about yourself or going a different direction, what would you say to the following question? What brings you in today? And that usually brings out a, a pretty honest response. And then the kid gets to basically understand that he's making a choice to be there or she she's making a choice to be there and it's not being done against their will. The next one is the job and that become that's typically fairly obvious too. You know, the, the, the worker says, well, I'm here because I'm always calling in late um, and I'm calling in late because I stay up too late drinking at night and then uh, I find it tough to get up in the morning and my, my boss got sick of it, but he finds me valuable enough to, you know, give me this help rather than just terminating me and getting the next warm body through the door. So that's a, that's a little bit bigger level of awareness also. And then finally, there's the spouse one. So sometimes you know, a, a spouse may say to the other spouse, hey, we need couples counseling because this relationship is valuable, so let's go. And um, there may be some begrudging in there, but I still get to ask the question, what brings you in today? And they say, well, you know, we're fighting too much or, you know, we can't, we can't decide how to parent our children uh, together or whatever. But the very last one is the family. And a lot of times people will find themselves in counseling, uh, for example, because they're struggling with addiction or their um, their attitude's not very good or they're always negative or maybe they're suffering from depression but they don't think that they are. And, and I want to uh, leave that hanging as we go into the break because a lot of folks who find themselves in counseling will openly state their reasons for being there but the motivation isn't authentically their own but rather it's coming from someone else who they've known for a very, very long time, has had an influence in their life, maybe they're currently living with them, but either way, they're unaware of the separation between their own motivation and someone else's uh, implied or imparted motivation. So I'll leave that hanging. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back after the break and talk about the motivation of what people, uh, what gets people into counseling. This is the Noggin Notes podcast, and I'm Jake Wiskirchen. Okay, we're back after the break on the Noggin Notes podcast. We're talking about what motivates people to change and maybe some external versus internal influences in their lives. And we left off talking about family influences. So I want to spend a little bit of time and hover right here uh, and talk about the voice in your head. And I don't mean auditory hallucinations. I'm talking about 
what Carl Jung referred to as introjections, not an interjection. An interjection is when you jump into somebody's conversation uninvited. But an introjection is an unquestioned belief or assumption, something that usually came from a, a significant voice of authority in your life, and you just never bothered to look at it or examine it, yet you embrace it as your own. So some of these introjections might be uh, very, very helpful, like look both ways before you cross the street. Uh, that's that's a good one. It keeps us from not dying by being hit by, by cars. Uh, but nonetheless, we don't really question it. And so every time we approach a curb, we tend to you know reflexively look both ways before stepping off the curb. Another introjection might be don't eat food off the floor. Um, take your hat off indoors. Get your elbows off the table. There's lots of introjections that we have. And they all serve to form our worldview. Uh, introjections can go so far as uh, the involvement of uh, racist thinking because you've been taught over many, many years that uh, those people, and I'm like pointing my, my invisible finger at some invisible people, but you know those people are not people we hang out with or um, those activities are not activities we do or we don't watch that TV show, we listen to this type of music, we go to this type of church. And, and so what ends up happening is it forms a worldview And that worldview becomes very comfortable, and it becomes the lens through which we view all of our experience. And then unconsciously, we start to apply those same standards to to everybody else. And when they don't fit into our worldview, we either try to rationalize how they, they should, and then we start to get should language, or we tend to exclude them because they don't fit neatly into our preconceived idea of what the world should look like. Or sometimes we just, um, we snap and we end up having, you know, psychotic experiences when actual reality uh, too strongly conflicts with what we perceive to be reality and we refuse to integrate the new information and reconcile it. So what ends up happening is, and there's a continuum there that I just mentioned those three things as, as all, uh, options for what can happen when uh, new information is presented that conflicts with our worldview. But ultimately the, the, the message here is that we all have voices in our heads that are telling us how things, quote unquote, should be or how we should live our lives. And some of those are uh, pretty healthy. They say, you know, you, sh- you shouldn't be addicted to drugs. Okay, that we can reasonably conclude that that's a, that's a good thing. It's a good idea. Uh, and yet still some people get addicted to drugs in spite of those introjected messages. And so imagine now uh, you're a person who's uh, addicted to a substance that's causing harm, and you have this voice that says, you shouldn't be doing that. But at the same time, you have another voice inside you that says, if you let go of this, you're not going to be able to handle life. So if you get clean and sober, you're not going to be able to tolerate reality or or live life because it's just too hard. Um, a lot of these people who, who experience this have emotional struggles. They've often been raised in chaotic environments, and a lot of them don't have a ton of self-confidence or personal agency. And a lot of folks uh, who experience this live in a great deal of shame because they're conflicted between these or among these multiple messages. So the reason this comes up is because we were... uh, we were recently discussing a case, and um, and it and it was reflective of a lot of times when I've encountered clients who come into counseling for uh, a stated reason, but that reason is not of their own making. It's someone else telling them that they should do that. And and I really want to emphasize the should. Whenever we hear the word should, 
there's a real good chance that that's an introjected belief, uh, meaning it's it's not it's not originally organically from you and your true self and your identity of who you are. It came from parents, or it came from school, or the clergy, or or TV. It does it doesn't really matter, but it's not authentically yours. But yet, it's driving a lot of your behaviors. So, picture this: person walks in struggling with addiction. They say, "I I want you know I'm here to to get clean and sober." And uh, the, the clinician starts to engage in that discussion. So several sessions down the road, it becomes obvious that the client is not moving. They're not doing their homework. Uh, they're, coming, they're making excuses. They're skipping sessions maybe. They're, uh, they're just not engaged. And, and so you, you go back to the treatment plan. You say, hey, man, um, you, when you came in five, six weeks ago, you said that uh, you wanted these things, but your, your actions are demonstrating something different. I'm wondering what's up with that. And through conversation, maybe maybe it comes out that, well, I don't know if I'm ready to quit. And so that sounds like a, a bombshell being dropped in session. You go, what do you mean not ready to quit? You're you know, it's it's got all this this detrimental effect in your life. You 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 can't quit drinking or doing, you know, uh prescription painkillers or uh you can't you, you can't stop doing whatever that is affecting you negatively, right? Uh, how what do you what could you possibly mean that you don't know that you want to quit? And then it comes out, you say, you know, that maybe the, the client says, well, it's, it's really my wife who wants me to quit. And I'm not sure that I'm ready to, to confront her, but I'm pretty sure that I'm not at a place where I'm ready to change. Well, that's a very different conversation. And, and that's what I wanted to talk to you guys as the audience about today. Where is your motivation? Is it authentically inside of you or is it coming from some other source? Is it coming from television, for example? It doesn't have to be something so heavy as addiction. It could be something like, you know, I really think I need to go back to school. Well, why do you need to go back to school? I don't know. I just, I just think I need to. What would you go back to school for? I don't know. Well, where's this coming from? I don't know, but I think I need to go back to school. Well, then come to find out uh, this person, you know, watches a lot of television, uh, particularly full of um, educational ads saying, you know, go back to school and get your degree, advance your career. And so they have this nebulous motivation, but it's not from within, it's from without. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean they don't want to go get a, a new degree or finish their education or whatever, but they're just confused as to which direction to go. And the messaging has provided the motivation to to go satisfy this need. Now that's really how advertising works, anyway. It it, it preys on our emotional uh, core and says, "Hey, look, you're missing out." Oh no! And from a fear from a fear perspective or a fear response, we go we go buy the thing or or we try to compete with our neighbors, or, you know, by by purchasing or enrolling in a club or you know something like that. So, um, introjected beliefs work the same way. Um, you may grow up in a, a home that has a very heavy uh, religious influence, for example, and so you find yourself going to church but not really um, paying attention to the, to the literal scriptural words and walking out the religious doctrine. And so there's a conflict between what you authentically want and what you're told that you quote-unquote should want. So if we get back to the counseling here, um, we end up with these uh, these folks in our, our counseling settings who are there and they're very conflicted, and that's fine. We can we can ride with the conflict and we can do what uh, a motivational interviewing technique calls rolling with resistance. And so we just yield to it and we go, "That man, it sounds like you're in a tough spot. What do you what do you really want?" And chances are pretty good that if this person's practiced um, walking this line and living in this tension for a really long time, they'll authentically say, "I don't know." Because they're they're confused about 
what is authentically within them and what's truly them versus what they've heard for many, many, many years. So if you picture somebody in their 60s who's just heard messaging over and over and over that runs contrary to who they know themselves to be, that's going to invite a lot of outside conflict. They're going to have to confront uh, maybe intimate partners, you know, spouses and, and the like. They may have to confront uh, siblings or children or parents, you know, really, really people who are close to them, maybe even a, a career that they've held for a really long time that they just don't find satisfying and they want to leave. And, and that's all, that's good. I mean, that's a, that's a really good thing that one would not necessarily leave a career suddenly, but, but find his or her authentic, true self and pursue that because then you're really going to be at peace. And when you're at peace, you can contribute more to the world. So along the way, the counselor has a, has a responsibility and this, this may sound like a little bit of a butt kicking, but I've specifically instructed my students, my interns, my staff to be mindful of their ethics. And every ethics code speaks to this. I can just cite a few. Um, the AAMFT, which is the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, ethical code 1.9 is where it lives. In the American Counseling Association, the ACA ethics code, it's A11C. And then in uh, National Board for Certified Counselors, the the uh, NBCC ethics code is number 76. And they all say the same thing, and I'm, I'm going to lump them into one, paraphrase it, but it basically says, you only continue treatment so long as it's reasonably clear that the client is benefiting. And obviously, if the client's being harmed, you don't continue treatment either. So there has to be a, a reasonably clear benefit, meaning they're hitting their, their objectives, they're moving toward their goals, there's some sort of stated growth. So if you rewind for a moment in your minds to that client I mentioned who, you know, this, this hypothetical client who comes in five, six sessions in, isn't moving, isn't doing homework, uh, constantly rejecting the help while continuing to complain about it. We call that help rejecting complaining, by the way. It's a defense mechanism to keep you right where you are and um, refuse to move. Um, if they're doing that, the counselor may come down and say, "Look, I can't ethically keep treating you if you're not going to continue. If you're not going to engage and do the homework or complete the assignments that I ask of you." And similarly, in the medical model, if you walked into your doctor's office with a gaping wound and you know got it stitched up and bandaged or whatever, and the doctor said, "Hey, I need you to change this." Uh, three times a day, uh, clean it, give new new bandages, and you come back three days later and you haven't touched the bandages, the doctor may fix it one time, but eventually the doctor is going to say, look, I can't continue to keep treating you if you're not going to follow my instructions because if I do, I then become an enabling factor in your own misery. And so counselors have to be mindful of their ethical code that we don't continue treating because if we do and the client's not progressing, we could risk becoming an enabling factor in their own continued suffering. And we don't want to do that. Moreover, it's highly unethical to continue billing the person or their insurance and making money off of somebody who's not, in effect, growing or changing or healing. We all, we're all we in this profession to heal people. So when I hear stories about, you know, I've, I've visited my, my counselor uh, weekly for 12 years, I'm like, why? There's no need for that. Somebody's not doing the work. Either the counselor isn't adjusting to the client and they're going the wrong way, or the client's not engaging, or, or something's amiss there. That, that should never happen. Um, we're in this profession to heal under the 
presumable auspices that healing can happen. If it can't happen, the profession doesn't exist. But if it can happen, then we need to see evidence that it is happening. Otherwise, we need to refer to somebody who's a better fit. We need to terminate until the timing is right and the client comes back motivated. Or, um, or we need to change uh, direction or modality. Something has to change. We can't just keep these people in, um, you know, stuffing our calendar so that we we fatten our wallets. That's highly unethical. Um, but beyond that, philosophically, I don't I don't want to enable your your misery by continuing to you know engage in a charade that you're being helped when really you're not. So we have an ethical code, and if your counselor says, "Hey, look, it doesn't seem obvious to me that you're growing. Uh, give me some give me some." <laughs> demonstrated reason or rationale that that justifies our continued engagement in this or our continued involvement um that's not because they're being mean it's because there's an ethic underlying that that says they're not going to continue you know moving that direction if your motivation is is off and so you don't want to go into counseling if you're you yourself are not motivated there's lots of factors that play into what motivates people and certainly some of them can be the court or probation or parents or a job or the spouse and family and that's fine as long as we pay heed to them and then say but ultimately it's up to me i can choose to reject the judge i can choose to reject my parents or uh, my boss and continue living life the same way i've always lived it and know that the outcome is going to be reasonably the same as i've always seen it um that's fine but we don't want to sit there and say they're making me do it because then it then it robs me as the client of my own ability to engage and then make my own change essentially i leave it up to somebody else and i don't know about you but i don't want to give that much power over to anybody i want to i want to retain my own power and uh and choose to to move forward in my own life uh, based on my own set of motivating factors. And some of those may be family, court, job. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm choosing whether or not I change. And and if you're not ready to get out of that pattern, that's fine. Uh, timing matters. Uh, I can't tell you how many people I've encountered who, um, for one reason or another, they... You know, they made a go at it because their parents made them come in or uh, job forced them or court forced them. They didn't make any change. Uh, services were terminated. Some months passed or, you know, years in, in one case, a couple of years passed for one client I'm thinking of. They reengaged and said, I finally woke up. I realized I needed to to do this for me. And then, boom, they were off and running. And it was, it was, it's the most magical thing in the world. So timing absolutely matters. So if you're a clinician listening to this, Honor your client's own process. Uh, if they're there against their will, acknowledge that and say, we, we understand you're here against your own will and you'd, you'd prefer to be elsewhere. Um, how motivated are you to change? And if you're the client listening to this and you're considering the motivating factors in your life, at the end of the day, decide what's best for you and then honor your own process. Uh, and, if, and if the timing's not right, you know, be, be honest and, and transparent with the people in your life and say, look, I'm not ready to go here. I'm too scared. Uh, and that's fine. You can, you can sit in that for a little while until, until motivation shifts. Um, and we will honor that as well. So on the heels of, uh, the previous podcast about counselor ethics, um, if you got a counselor who's making you change, quote unquote, you know, jumping on board with all those other external factors, you're well within your right to fire them. Uh, if they're making you uncomfortable and saying, no, no, you must give up the, the painkillers. Uh, no, you must not. Uh, that's not a very healthy approach uh, for me to say, no, you must not give up the painkillers. But we also have to honor the, the fact that people are their own individuals and, and uh, they're capable of their own decisions. Even if they're seven or eight years old, 
good luck making your kid do his homework. It's not going to happen if they don't want to. So we want to we want to meet people with compassion and love, and hopefully they'll respect that and find their own motivation. Uh, because if we try to force things upon people, we're going to encounter resistance, and resistance often leads to fights and conflict, and and those things just just don't turn out real well. So um, examine your motivations, and uh, I I hope that this uh, benefited you in some way. Next week, we'll be back with another podcast, as usual. And uh, if you want to reach out, give some feedback, uh, or give a suggestion for a future uh, podcast topic, we certainly would invite that. Info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org. Those messages will make it to me, and I will uh, try to incorporate your feedback. And then I certainly accept fan mail. Haven't gotten any fan mail for a while. I'm feeling a little lonely. Just kidding. I'm a, I'm a maker of my own feelings. Anyway, on behalf of the Noggin Notes team and the Zephyr Wellness family, I thank you for listening, and uh, I wish you great mental wellness. Take care. Take care.